Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Scipio. The number one challenge every salesperson faces right now is how to have more conversations with more potential customers and land more appointments. And that's why you've got to go check out Scipio today. I've had too many sales leaders tell me how Scipio has transformed their ability to make contact with customers faster and easier than ever before that I had to go check them out myself. Salespeople using Scipio see a 5x improvement in landing appointments and a 40% lift in show rates. And that means more conversations, which we all know means more sales. Listen, everything has changed in the last year. And that means the way you connect with customers needs to change too. Scipio has the best automated texting platform for building personalized relationships at scale that I have ever seen. But don't take my word for it. Head over to Scipio at Scipio.com and use the code SPRINGFREE for one month on the plan of your choice courtesy of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Again, that's Scipio, S-K-I-P-I-O dot com, and use Spring Free to find out just how good a modern messaging platform can be. The Sales Leadership Podcast is also brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. We're all facing new challenges, and if you need someone to talk shop with, I've got you. If you want to become an elite, legendary sales leader for the team you lead, hit me up. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Dr. Garland Vance, founder and CEO of Advanced Leadership. Garland and his team helped develop high-performing leaders by increasing their effectiveness and establishing leadership excellence. He works with leaders of all kinds and companies all around the world and is the author of the best-selling book, Getting Unbusy. Now, I have a copy of the book. I've totally been enjoying getting through it, and I cannot wait to dive into this conversation with Garland today. There, it, it's, not a, it's not an accident that Forbes named Garland's book as one of the seven books everyone on your team should read, and you're going to want to get a hold of it as we finish this episode today. Now, here's why I wanted Garland on the show. We're at a time when people are giving maximum effort, but people aren't necessarily creating maximum speed. I talk about with my leaders that I coach all the time, and it's no secret that the recent jobs reports are showing that turnover is hitting all-time highs. So today, Garland's joining me to talk about the effects of busyness the lives of those we work with and those we work for, and what we as leaders can do about it so we can have impact that creates life-changing years for those we lead. I am so excited to have Garland join us on what I think is a super timely and a very important topic right now. Garland, thanks so much for joining me and welcome to the show. Rob, I'm so excited to be here. I feel honored, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. I, I'm a fan of your work. Uh, I uh, first saw you from your content that's on LinkedIn, which I thought was really strong. And then uh, you graciously uh, got me a copy of your book and I've been going through that. And and I can't believe I haven't had you on here sooner, to be honest with you. So thank you. This is going to be fun. Let's do it. 
Why don't we start by you telling us about advanced leadership, your company, kind of how you got it started and, and really what you do for your customers. Yeah. So it, it started because I've been in leadership development as, as a W2 for, for 20 years. I worked with this little chicken restaurant called Chick-fil-A. I've worked with Fortune 500 companies. and Had them and, for lunch today, by the way. Just <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Way to support the, the business, man. No, so, so I've been doing this for 20 years and uh, was at a, a point in my life where I was living in Houston, Texas, started seeing all of these oil and gas leaders. And I was also working with nonprofit leaders and realized they're all talking about the same problems. They're talking about the problems of competence. They're pro- talking about the problems of not having enough time. They're talking about the problems of not having clarity, of not having uh, a culture that they want. And, and finally, it was, you know, I've got a doctorate in this thing. I love leadership development. Let's start doing something where we can go out. So branched out on my own uh, with my wife in 2017, and we help leaders become the leaders they want to become and create the leaders within their organizations that they want to develop. I love that, man. What a great story. And, and not enough people really have that expertise. My experience has been, I don't know about other leadership positions because I've been really focused on sales. And, and right now you got several thousand sales leaders listening to you. Um, my, my experience in the sales world has been people invest a ton of money on sales process, sales tools, sales training, but those same companies that spend millions on that for the sales function, when it comes to the leadership side, uh, they say, figure it out. And they don't yeah. have any investment in sales leadership uh, training, sales leadership tools or sales leadership process. And that's why you see the average kind of tenure of a head of sales is, you know, about 18 months and still falling. So yeah, it, it's a truth. So, so 83% of companies say that they believe that they should create leaders at every level of the organization, right? So 83%, 5% of those companies have a strategy or a plan for it. Uh, not even do anything about it. I mean, they just have a strategy and a plan for it. So it, it, is a, it is a big need that companies know they have, and they often don't know how to make it happen. Okay. This is a great setup, man. This is this. I'm super excited for this one. So <clears throat> I, I'm not sure the best place to start. Maybe I'll, I'll start with what's top of mind for me. And, you know, I'm excited. I, I don't really know for sure where we're going to go, except for I know it's going to be good. Um, we're, we're in the middle of this work from home era now. Uh, I, I don't even call it the post pandemic era anymore because this work from home thing has created some challenges. It's also created some expectations it's created for others, new levels of awareness, but I also think it's had an impact on the busyness factor in people's lives. I can tell you for me, I couldn't wait to get back to my office <laughs> because all of a sudden home could be home again. Like yeah. it's true. I did do way, way more when I was just at home. And so can we start with that? Has that, has that kind of work from home element done anything or contributed to that busyness factor in people's lives? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let me define busyness before we, we dive Love into it. this. So that, yeah, so thank people, you. Yeah. So busyness is an overcommitment to too many good commitments. Nobody is busy because they're doing bad things, Un- unless you're like a dictator or a drug dealer, right? Nobody's busy <laughs> because they're doing bad things. They're busy because they have so many good commitments at work and at home that when you put all of those good commitments together, it creates an overwhelmed life. So what what this work from home trend did for us is at first because of covid 
all of these outside commitments begin, began to diminish, right? No longer could we, you know, go to the movies or go to the plays or take the vacations. And so all of a sudden people had this extra time. And so busyness felt like it began to diminish, but our boundaries began to shrink as well. We only had this one life that we lived at home and home became where we eat. It became where we work. It became where we sleep. It, it just started becoming our entire world. And as those boundaries began to diminish, what ended up happening is we, we took all that extra time that we're not commuting anymore, that we're not, maybe we're not even showering anymore at this point, right? We took all that extra time and we filled it with more and more commitments, often work commitments. So the average person uh, who was working from home was spending three hours more per day on work than they were when they were going into an office. And so Here's, here's my, my, my biggest concern, in, in all honesty, as we go back to a world where we have more commitments, is that we're now going to try to work the same amount that we've been working, and then in addition to that, start stacking all of those commitments that we haven't been able to, to get to, and it will result in overwhelming burnout if we do that. All right. That is a setup, man. That is a setup. You got my attention. I, I, I guarantee you there's a lot of people that are interested in where we go with this. So I want to sit on busyness for a minute. I really liked your definition of it. I, I was able to really relate to it as well. I imagine because this is what you do for a living. You speak on it, you write on it, you teach on it. I, I got to think people generally relate to that definition because it, it makes so much sense. Can you talk a little bit now that we have that definition maybe a little more about the impact of the of business and maybe the reason that I want to go there, uh, particularly again, from the sales side, again, sales for a long time really has celebrated the grind. Um, mm. You know, people sometimes want to wear the grind as a badge, man, or a medal, you know, and, and it's like, how hard can you work or how much can you do? And, you know, there's, it's, it's legendary. Some of the great athletes that, that embrace the grind. And, um, and salespeople, you know, I often say are, are professional sales athletes because you're competing against someone every day. And that's why your work ethic matters so much. And mm-hmm. so can we talk a little bit about, about more about that? I love your definition. Now let's yeah. start talking about the impact of it a little bit. Cause you said you think it's going to bring burnout. I want to get, yeah. I want to go deeper on that. Okay. Yeah. So the research showed, so I ended up doing my doctoral work. So I have a doctorate in leadership. I ended up doing my doctoral work on busyness and what it was doing because it, it nearly killed me. And, and what the research has found is that busyness hurts us physically, mentally, emotionally. It hurts our relationships. It hurts our productivity and it destroys entire organizations, right? So we can go, go deep on any one of those. Let me just touch uh, in particular the burnout that I talked about and the physical results. So let's talk physical results first, okay? Our bodies are wired for stress. We are supposed to experience stress and respond to stress. But whenever we experience stress, it releases adrenaline and cortisol. And those things are there to help us deal with the stress that's in front of us, right? So adrenaline's there for fight or flight. Cortisol actually uh, keeps us focused on what's most important to do right in front of us. And then once we deal with the stress that's in front of us, we have this thing called our parasympathetic nervous system that's supposed to kick in. It washes our body from adrenaline cortisol and helps us rest, right? Helps us kind of recover from it. So this is awesome if we have some life-threatening situation, right? So a few months ago, 
my wife and I are walking through the woods of North Carolina. We came across a black bear, like literally 10 feet in front of us. Whoa. That was a, yeah, stressful situation. And yeah. I needed adrenaline and cortisol because I knew I had two options, right? I was either going to uh, attack the bear or I was going to throw my wife down and run faster than, than her. Not really. I wouldn't do that. But I, but I knew there was like- So this. you're newly single, it sounds like. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, but but- that's when adrenaline and cortisol are really good for us. Here's the challenge. Stress researchers have discovered that our body can't tell the difference between real stress, life-threatening stress, right? Like there's a bear in front of us and what they would call good stress and stress that we experience at work, a presentation that we're going to give. We're trying to close a big sale. Like our bodies can't tell the difference with that. So we our bodies are constantly flooded with adrenaline and cortisol, but when you're too busy, your parasympathetic nervous system doesn't have time to kick in. It doesn't have time to wash your body. And there's been over 26 different diseases that have been associated with adrenaline uh, overstimulation and cortisol overstimulation, uh, all the way from chronic uh, headaches and muscle tension to colitis, diverticulitis, heart problems, uh, and wow. even early onset death. Like so, so you're talking high capacity people who are busy and they're doing massive damage to themselves physically. And then the other thing to know with this is there's also a high correlation between busyness and burnout. And one of the, and, and I know sales leaders want to know about this. One of the effects of, of burnout is a loss of enthusiasm for the work that you're doing and for the life that, that you're living, which has, that's going to have massive diminished effectiveness on your role as a sales leader. So burnout is a major problem. Physical problems are a major problem. Those are just two of the major problems that happen when we uh, allow ourselves to be overly busy for too long. Okay. This is really interesting to me because one of my definitions of what sales is, again, we're sales people here. Sales is the transfer of enthusiasm. And you mm. just told me that burnout is the loss, loss of enthusiasm. Yeah. So this is super interesting to me because like our job is to transfer enthusiasm to people. I, I honestly, I think that's sales simplified. It's that transfer of enthusiasm. And so burnout is, that's an in interesting way of looking at it. Cause I always just thought of it in terms of, well, they're going to quit or, you know, they're going to have poor quality of life, which all of those things are bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing those, but um, that's interesting. So let's, let's sit on burnout for a minute. So yeah. what do you do? Like I've always said, I've always had this philosophy and maybe I'm, I'll be interested to get your take on it as a guy who got a doctorate in it and someone that you specialize on it. I'm really grateful to have you here because this is a real, very real issue facing every sales leader today. I've always said like the one good thing about burnout is you can't burn out unless you're on fire first. Okay. <laughs> and, and, um, and so as leaders, if we could take the lens on what does it take to keep the fire burning? Maybe we don't burn as hot. Maybe we can t like, understand what the passion factors are. I always have believed that passion factors and stress factors are the counterbalances of each other. And mm -hmm. so understanding the passion factors, you can achieve balance and great leaders can start to, to lean that way. What are your thoughts? I mean, how do you, how do you address burnout and, and keep that fire? Or is that even a dumb way of looking at it? I mean, I can't wait to get your thoughts on that whole way of thinking. 
Yeah, no. So it's not a dumb way of looking at it. So so let's talk about what burnout is, right? Because it's yeah. become a really hot word that people throw around all the time, right? I'm tired. I woke up tired. I must be burning out. No, no, no. Burnout is a medical condition and there's three stages to it. In stage really? one. Yep. Yep. So, and, and, and we miss this all the time. So stage one is emotional exhaustion. Like I just don't have it in me today to, to do the work. I'm tired emotionally. And that often comes out physically, but I'm emotionally exhausted. I got no emotional margin in my life. The second stage is called depersonalization and depersonalization is when we begin to actively dislike the people that we care about the most. Now you can imagine in sales, this is really negative. Right. Yeah. Like you don't want to be actively disliking the, the, the people that you're trying to, to sell to. Right. So but it's when we begin to actively dislike the people we care about the most. And then that third stage is what we talked about. This is a loss of enthusiasm for life. So this is often when suicide rates go up or you just wake up in the morning and everything feels hopeless and, and there's no energy around what you're doing, what you're selling, the, the life that you're living. So so. What we need to do as, as people it is first, we need to be aware of what those stages of burnout is because you can look at your own life and go, wow, I'm experiencing depersonalization. Every time my kids ask me for help, I get angry at them. Or you know, when, when this potential client calls me, I get frustrated when I see their number pop up. Like those are, those are signs that there's burnout going on. And the challenge is we often tell people that the way to cure burnout is to become more passionate about something. That's not true. The way that we deal with burnout is by disengaging for periods of time from the very things that cause us stress. So it's intentional disengagement, intentional rest, which is what great athletes do, right? They have a nine or 10 month long season, and then they take two months to intentionally disengage from their training. They still, they still train, they still work, they still get stronger, but they're taking time to rest mentally, physically, emotionally from it. That's how we end up, uh, helping with burnout is by disengaging and by doing things that we love to do, but not things that we're necessarily paid to do or do professionally. All right now. Okay. So those are two, I got be aware and disengage. Is there anything else? Cause I want to dive into these, but I want to get the model out. Is it two things that you do or is it the, is there anything else? Well, there's a bunch uh, that, that you could do, but I would say those, those, those two? two things okay, are going to be 90% of, of what you need in order to do some burnout prevention. Because we're about to dig in and I don't want to like not have a good list for our listeners. I, I try hard <laughs> to make sure that I temper my enthusiasm so our listeners can get what you need to give them. So um, this is fascinating stuff for me, man, because again, the, the jobs report shows people are leaving. I mean, the burnout, like the burnout is like a real thing. What I love is you said it's a mental condition. It's not a weakness. You know, we've had a lot wow. of people talking about like mental health and mental awareness and, and talking about it. So it's not like something that people have to hide from, but, but burnout, what I like about it is you have identified like these three stages. So you can actually see it coming before it gets to be a problem is what I'm guessing. Yep, absolutely. So you can begin to, to see it. And, you know, you talked about mental health. This is it's something that's really fascinating that's happening in, in organizations right now is a lot of companies are going, oh, our people are stressed out. They're burning out. We need to teach them to be more resilient. 
that is not true. Again, we're, it's totally false. So what happens? Have you ever, Rob, have you ever seen one of those pictures or one of those videos where um, people take a watermelon and they start putting rubber bands on it and they put like a hundred rubber bands, uh, you know, 200 rubber bands and, and eventually the watermelon burst, right? From all yeah. the, pressure. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So imagine you're a watermelon. I'm not saying you're a watermelon, but imagine, you know, you're a watermelon. Imagine you, those who are listening are watermelons and every commitment we put on our lives is another rubber band, another rubber band, another rubber band. And what's happening is organizations are looking at our lives and, you know, we're, we're, we're getting ready to pop. We're overflowing. It's, it's the tension is mounting because we have so many commitments on our lives and organizations are looking at their employees and they're saying, we need to teach them to be more resilient. So all they're doing is adding one really big rubber band onto that watermelon. Instead, they need to be looking and saying resiliency isn't the problem. Overcommitment is the problem. So how do we learn to help our people take off some of the commitments, take off some of the rubber bands, not just in the organization, right? Not just by getting clearer on your priorities in the organization, but also in their lives in general. How do we help them learn to take off some of the rubber bands so that they can become more resilient right there. So yeah, we can see it coming. We can see this burnout coming and then organizations tend to make it worse because they're like, oh, y'all are burning out. We're going to teach you how to deal with that. And it's going to make it even harder. Which is why people say embrace the grind, right? Just embrace the grind. And um, and so I, I think that, I don't know, like you work with all areas of people and all areas of business. I can't relate to the other. I've made a career in sales leadership. But I can tell you, as someone that works with sales leadership organizations all around the, the, the globe, there still is a big, I, I, there's a big uh, perception of the winners just grind harder. And I think we're at a point where leaders need to understand that that ain't right. I mean, that's, that ain't right. And so I love what you're saying. I don't know exactly where I want to go next. I have like my notebook's already filling up so fast. I, <laughs> I got like five pathways that I want to go down, but we only have a 45 minute conversation here. And so I want to make sure we're on the right spot. I, I think where I want to go on this first is, is it as simple as just disengaging? And let me, let me tell you why I asked the question. Two things. I'll do it really quickly. First, I have people that I coach all the time ask me, like just this weekend, I had someone reach out on a Saturday afternoon say, saying, how do you recharge? That was, that was her question to me. How do you recharge? And um, that led to us having an interesting kind of unscheduled conversation. And, and so I look at my mobile device. And at, at the end of the day, I put my mobile device on a charging platform right by where I sleep. And if I don't line that battery up with that charger just right, the the light doesn't change color and it doesn't charge all night long, but I'm not using it. And so I've I've had that occur to me as I look at them. One morning when I looked up and I realized I didn't line it up just right, I'm like, Mm. dang it, I didn't use it, but my phone is not charged. It is still just as dead this morning as it was when it went to sleep last night. So that's my question. Is it as simple as just like disengaging or do you need to be intentional about recharging? Yeah. So I would say disengaging and recharging in in my definition would be the same thing, but here's the deal. How we recharge is just as important as the fact that we're trying to recharge. Okay. Because there are a lot of people who say, 
okay, I'm going to recharge this weekend. I'm going to, you know, drink myself into oblivion. I'm going to watch Netflix the whole time. I'm not going to get off of the couch. I'm going to eat fried chicken, which sounds like a great weekend to me, but it's not a recharging weekend. So there are actually four ways that nice. we need to recharge. Okay. Love so this. this comes out of what the research was. What are the, the tendencies of the most highly productive unbusy people. So I started studying this, right? Highly productive, but unbusy people. What did they do differently? There's four things that they do differently than anybody else. Okay. And, and I'm going to tell you what they are. And then I'm, let me compare kind of busy people to unbusy people. Okay. Beautiful. So the first thing that they do is they do relationships differently than unbusy people. They're, they're all going to start with R. They do relationships differently. Second is they do recreation differently than busy people. Third is they do rest differently. And the final is they do reflection differently than unbusy people. So, um, so, so th these four things, right, are, are what they do. Relationships, recreation, rest, and reflection. Really busy people. And pro I bet the lady who uh, called you up and asked you, how do you recharge? Yeah. Really busy people, what they do is they fill their calendars full and then they try to find, okay, where can I fit relationships, recreation, rest, and reflection, right? And they're, they're trying to cram those into like nooks and crannies in their, in their calendar. But busy people don't have any nooks and crannies in their calendar. Their, their calendars are overflowing. What highly productive, unbusy people do to recharge is they schedule those four first, relationships, recreation, rest, and reflection. They put those into their calendars first and then build everything around it, Okay. So let, let's, if it's okay with you, Rob, let's dive in a little bit more to, to what these look like. Go, baby, go. Okay. So relationships, there's actually two kinds of relationships that, uh, that you need to prioritize. The first is your most important people right? That your, your, your kids, they often have the same last name as you, or it's long-term friendships that you've got. These are your most important people in your life. You need to schedule time with them first. But the second that people often overlook is your most energizing people, right? So I think we can all agree when you've got young kids, they're your most important people, but they're also your most draining people. Yes. So you want to have time for your most, uh, energizing people. So I just had coffee this morning with one of my best friends in the world. He's been uh, a friend for over 20 years and it was during the workday, but I literally at the beginning of every month, he and I schedule our coffee uh, or breakfast or lunch together, or whatever we're going to do that month. We schedule that first and then I build the rest of my calendar around that relationship. It's a most uh, energizing person. Okay. So that that's relationships. Most, uh, most important, most energizing. Second is recreation. What is recreation? It's doing things you love to do for the sheer enjoyment of doing it. People tend to ignore the things that they love to do and think there's no value in doing those. If you love hiking, if you love fishing, uh, if you love reading, if you love uh, watching movies, going to a play, we look at those and in the grind mentality, we say those aren't important at all, but recreation re-energizes us. It recharges us. And that is a highly productive thing to do. Third thing is rest. They're intentional with the sleep that they get and with the mental rest that they get. So they give themselves time to mentally step away from work, to mentally disengage. And then the final is reflection. How do, how do really great, highly productive people do reflection differently? They schedule time first 
to look back so that they can look forward. So there's three questions we found that have tremendous value that if, if you do these on a daily basis, they tend to um, help you reflect really well. So the, the first question is, what did I accomplish yesterday? Right. So for, for really high achievers, we tend to think that, um, that every day we start over and we're already in a deficit. You know, we never have enough time to get everything done. So when we look back and we go, what did I accomplish yesterday? It allows us to start the day with some momentum. Wow, look at what I did yesterday. I made a lot of progress. There's a second question is, what am I grateful for today? So gratitude energizes us. It allows us to look at our life and go, I'm grateful for the glass of wine that I had yesterday or for the long walk I had with my wife. I'm grateful that I closed this sale. I'm grateful. So we, we reflect on what we're grateful for. That energizes us. And then the third question is, what am I going to do differently today than what I did yesterday? And so it's really just an opportunity to go, here's why I messed up. Here's why I didn't, didn't live up to my own expectations. And here's the one thing that I'd like to do differently today. Those three questions give you the ability to reflect and then move into your day with a lot of energy and enthusiasm. I got a million more questions again. You're going to have to be a repeat guest for us, man. Um, <clears throat> we could have done a show just on these four things and we'd have run out of time because I could have only given 10 <laughs> minutes for each of the four things. And that's not right. enough. Um, I want to talk about how often do you reflect? Like how I love this idea of intentional reflection. I have a morning routine to start my day. And the first part of my day is to try to get my mind into a net neutral space because I'm really about mindset and trying to make sure I don't let let yesterday's problems get me off to a bad start today. I think this reflection stuff is a really key part of it. Something I'm not doing. So you're speaking to me. I I hope the rest of my, you know, well, like I said, we have thousands of people listening. For y'all, I hope you like this, but I'm going to get a personal coaching session from you right now, <laughs> Garland. Um, so, so how how often do you do the reflection thing? And you said the, the the successful people schedule that; they're intentional yeah. with that. Is it a daily thing? Is it a weekly thing? How, what do you think? Yeah. So what I found is there is a daily element. Now I'm going to be straight up. Anytime somebody tells me that I need to do something every day besides eat, I get angry. With them, I'm like, there's no way I'm not going to do it 365 times in a row. So okay. I would say I'm down with that. I get that. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> like typically four or five times a week, I'm doing some type of reflection. Okay. I don't, I, I'm not beating myself up if I don't do it. I just know that today is going to be better more often than not if I do this, this reflection. So I would say there is a daily element to it. I incorporate this into my weekly review and, and preparation of, hey, what did I, what did I accomplish last week? What did I, uh, what am I grateful for last week? What am I going to do differently next week? And then I do it on a quarterly basis as well, where I look back and go, Hey, what did, and, and team leaders can do this. If you're a sales leader, imagine bringing your team together and going, Hey team over the last quarter, what did we accomplish? Like, Mm. let's actually celebrate what we did. What are we grateful for? And before we even set what our goals are going to be and what the marks we're trying to hit for the next quarter, let's identify what did we accomplish? What are we grateful for? What have we learned that we're going to do differently? Now let's talk about the goals that we're going to set. So I do it almost daily almost weekly and definitely every quarter. I like that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. I, I We only have 11 minutes left. And so I got to ask you one more thing. And then I want to start like putting stuff into some so what's for our people to try and like as a result of, because we always try to give our listeners, 
as a result of listening to the show, what could you like use instantly? And I want to start by wrapping it up in a bow. I can't believe I've only got 11 minutes left. <laughs> you said a word early on that I wrote down. So I'm going to hit rewind. We're going to get in our hot tub time machine. We're going to go back. I want to revisit this <laughs> word because for me, it's a really important word for sales leaders. <clears throat> you talked about clarity. You mentioned it uh, early on and it got my attention because I'm one of these people that says in order to accomplish massive things, you've got to create massive speed. And I believe that clarity is the catalyst of speed and confusion is the enemy of speed. Mm, absolutely. You brought it up right from the shoot. Like I've had that one with a star bite on my notes. I wanted to get back to it because I think it's a bit, I'm really interested in this world of busyness and being unbusy and doing the four things that you talked about and making sure that you avoid burnout, not because you're resilient, but because you're engaged in the right places, the right amount of time. Can you talk about the role of clarity in all this? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're getting a preview of actually what my next book is about. Um, nice. So, uh, so clarity. Heard it let's here talk first about, on the Sales yeah. Leadership Podcast. That's right. That's right. So, so there's team clarity or organizational clarity, and then there's individual clarity. So let, let's talk team clarity. I'm going to give you a real high flyby of this, but there's actually seven levels of clarity and most organizations don't do any of them really well. Okay. So, so level one is purpose. Are you clear on why your organization or why your team exists? Level two is profits. How do you actually make money so that you can accomplish your purpose? Level three is priorities. What are the most important things for you to work on so that you can make your profit so that you can accomplish your purpose? Level four is plans. How are we actually going to get our priorities done so that we um, uh, make our uh, make our profits and accomplish our um, uh, our purpose? Right. Level five is processes. What's the uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. People. Level five is people. Who are the people who are going to do the plans? What are the roles that are going to do the plans that are going to accomplish the priorities to earn the profits to help us fulfill our purpose? Level six is processes. What are the processes that we need to support the people who are going to do the plans, who are going to accomplish the priorities, who are going to get the profits, who are going to fulfill the purpose? And then level seven, and this is where we get it wrong so often, is problems. What are the problems that are getting in the way of the processes, people, plans, priorities, uh, profits, and, uh, and purpose? Like more often than not, organizations look at a thousand problems that they have and they try to tackle them all at one time rather than looking through it from this filter of saying, how do we get clarity on the problems that are actually getting in the way of, of those areas? Okay, so as a team, you have to have clarity as a team, but then that translates over into the individual's priorities. And I would say that you're going to have work priorities, and then you're going to have what I would call dreams and priorities. And dreams and priorities are, what are the things I want in my life? What are the things that are really important? So, so I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, but part of the reason I live in Knoxville, Tennessee is because we were living in Houston. We didn't love we loved the people that were there, but we didn't love the place that we were living. And we were like, what would happen if we designed our life around where we wanted to live instead of designing our life around where my job tells me we, we have to live? And it just, it opened up new opportunities for us. So clarity comes when we go, okay, here's what's really important for me to accomplish in my job. And here's what's really important for me to do in my 
life. And we begin to arrange life around those dreams and priorities rather than killing our dreams and priorities because life hasn't let us do it. Hey, man, I'm not happy that we're running out of time. I'm really not. <laughs> this has been great. It, it's flown by. We're down to our last few minutes. Um, <clears throat> let's start wrapping this up. Let's, let's turn it into some so what's. So again, we've got a lot of sales leaders. They're all leading teams of all. It's different. I mean, some are small as five, four or five, and some they have way too many and they're leading 18 to 20 or whatever. Right. Yeah. And um, what should our leaders be thinking about? Like this idea of get of unbusyness. Now, I don't know where you want to, where we go with it. I don't know if it's about how to be aware. I don't know if it's trying to engage, but, but what could leaders do to make sure that either they themselves can put these things you're saying to work, or maybe even help the people they lead, put some of these things to work. Yeah. So I'm going to, there, there's a couple of things. First is make busy a bad word in your organization. Okay. Make busy. Like nobody's allowed to say, I can't do that. I'm too busy. Make busy a bad word. It's actually a cuss word in my family. So if I like stub my toe, I scream out busy and everybody knows that I'm really upset. That's right? awesome. So, so make it a bad word uh, in your, in your family, make it a bad word in, in your organization. I'd love to encourage anybody who's, who's a reader. So sh- shameless self pro- uh, promotion here. Anybody who's a reader, go to killbusy.com and I'll send you the book for free if you'll pay for the shipping and handling. I'll autograph it for you. And we'll put the link in the show notes and make sure that it's really easy for people to get. We'll do that for sure. Awesome. So so get the book, read it with your team because it really is written for leaders and their teams to think about this together. So here's two more really practical suggestions that you can begin uh, doing as a team leader. The first is every time you have an idea or your team has an idea, I want you to default to no. Make no the standard answer and only say yes to something new in addition to it. If, you, if you've done three things, one, you've given yourself time to think about it, right? So 24 to 48 hours, two or three weeks to think about it, something along those lines. So take time to think about it. Second is think through the ripple effect of it. So if, if there's this new opportunity and you're really excited about it, think through, well, wait, what's the, what are the unintended consequences of this thing? And the third, and here's the kicker that leaders really struggle with, is if you commit to do something new as a team, before you say yes to it, you have to get rid of something equivalent to it so that you're at least balancing out the scales of time. So that's the, the second thing I would encourage people to do is make no your default answer. And then here's the third one. It's going to get really practical is I want you to start building an end of day boundary and a time boundary on how long people can work. Now this flies in the face of what many people think, right? The grind culture, the hustle culture, all of those things. But, but, Parkinson's law tells us that work expands to fill the time allotted. So when you say to your team, you've got to be done by 5.30 p.m., or you say to your team, you can't work any more than, let's say, 45 hours on this, what tends to happen is people figure out how to get the same amount of work done in significantly less time. And so that boundary that you're building for people makes them more effective, more productive, 
in the time that they have and makes it a whole lot easier for them to go, man, I've hit my time and I've hit my marks. I'm, I can, can mentally step away and be present to other things in my life. And that has to start with the leaders first, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If it's good for the goose, it's gotta be good for the gander. I, I see that. That's why I'd like to have like maybe a, a thought or two on that because I see a lot of leaders that try to encourage people to do this, but they themselves don't do it. Any thoughts about like leaders first to set that example? I would love to hear about that. Yeah. In fact, the way that I wrote the book was the first four steps of the book are you as the leader having to do these things. And then the fifth step is you begin to draw your team in, you, you draw your family in. If you, as the leader, say to your people, you shouldn't work past 5.30 p.m., but they're getting emails from you at 8 p.m., the, the encouragement that you're giving conflicts with the way that you're living. And the way that you're living is always going to trump that. So they're going to look and they're going to go, he's telling me or she's telling me not to work past 5.30, but they're but sending emails. Right, but she's sending emails at 8 o'clock. So what she really expects is for me to work till 8.30, till nine o'clock. So the leader has to set the tone. I did this with a leader a few years ago, a guy named uh, Corey. He's a, a, a region manager of a, of a large company and he made the determination he would not send any more emails past 6 p.m. And he said to his team, no more emails, no more text messages past 6 p.m. unless it's an emergency. And if it's an emergency, you have to write emergency in the, in the text message or in, in the, uh, and, and that changed the, the game, but he had to set the tone first. I'm not going to email anybody past 6 PM. So yep. The leader has to go first. Garland. I love your point of view on this stuff. I love your research on this stuff. I'm, I'm grateful that I got your book and that I've, I've got you now as a new colleague and a new friend on this. And I'm grateful that I'm you're going to say yes to come back if, you know, a few months from now. We're going to go into this a little more. Um, let's put this final thought. You like how I did that? Um, <laughs> I do. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you've given us a great blueprint. I'd like to finish with this. Um, and then we'll talk about how to get in touch with you and get access to your stuff, et cetera. What happens to the lives of people who accomplish this feat of unbusyness? Like, what do you yeah. see happen to those people? I, I love to give people like, like what happens when you see that happen? Yeah. So the way that I like to say it, you know, I I think a lot of us, especially in sales, we're like, if you buy our product, you're going to live the life of your dreams, right? You're going to be a bazillionaire, all those things. I can't promise that you're going to be a bazillionaire, that you're going to have a yacht. But here's what I can promise is one of the things that busyness does is we try to cram our lives so full of meaningful things but we're moving at such a fast pace that we miss the meaning of it. Right. So we're like carpe diem seize the day. And then we get through the day and we're like, what did I seize today? And, and so what you do is you, you stress less. That's the first thing you accomplish more uh, as a result of this, because you're actually concentrating on the things that really matter to you, but you enjoy life more like life has more meaning when you're living at a pace where you can enjoy the moments of it. So it's not where I like, I want you to, I want sales leaders to sell. I want you to sell your heart out, but in the midst of those sales, I also want you to enjoy your life and have a great time. And you're going to have a lot more room mentally, emotionally, physically in your calendar. If you can enjoy life. What a great way to finish a killer conversation. Garland, you have me fired up. I, I, one of my beliefs is, as leaders, 
Our job is to help create life-changing years for the people you lead. Mm. And so I love that because nothing is more important than finding joy. And yeah. if you can find that joy that you talked about, enjoying life more, right? Um, that's what I'm talking about. That's what an elite leader can do for someone. Yep. So this was killer. I, I'm excited. I'm excited to get you back. I, I, I'm excited to go back and listen to this one again and, and uh, apply so much of it to me. How do people get more of you? I, I've been following you for a little while. I'm a big fan of your work. Um, I, I want to encourage everybody that's listening to this to connect with you and grab hold of all the stuff that you have to offer. How do they do that? How do they start a conversation with you? The whole thing. Yeah. Easiest thing to do is uh, LinkedIn. That's pretty much the only social media channel that I'm going to be uh, be active on. So uh, uh, by all means, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you there. You can go to my website as well, which is advancedleadership.live and uh, find out more about some of the things that we're doing. You can email me from there. I'd, I'd love to, to connect with you. Okay. He is making busy a bad word all around the world. <laughs> he is uh, helping companies, not just avoiding burnout. He's helping people finding those life-changing years. It's something you can do if you apply some of these simple frameworks, simple approaches that he talked about. And what I love about it is it's small things that yield these giant, giant improvements. So, so, so thanks so much for joining me today, Garland. I really appreciate you having our show. And, and, and I wish you only the greatest success into the future. Thank you so oh, much. Thanks, Rob. Man, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, I've got to thank my friends at Scipio for their support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Texting is one of the last platforms where you can really differentiate how you engage your customers. There's no doubt in my mind that texting needs to be part of the modern sales process. I've spent a lot of time digging into Scipio's product, and I love it. Since we've started this partnership with Scipio, I've had several sales managers hit me up and tell me just how much they like the Scipio platform. It's simplicity, powerful features, and the impact texting done right creates makes this a tool that's a no-brainer for the modern salesperson. Listen, not all text messaging platforms are created equal, and if you're looking to create more engage more with your clients, and you also want to get more prospects to your demos and discovery meetings, just start using Scipio. Scipio's platform is the most powerful, most personal one I've ever seen. It's just that simple. I know the team personally, and I know they'll give you an amazing experience. So take advantage of a free month with no strings attached, compliments of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Head to Scipio.com and tell them I sent you by using the code ROB on the sign-up page. You'll be blown away how quickly the right texting platform can change the game for the members of your team. Now, this podcast is also brought to you by my company, the Jepson Performance Group. And if you're like most sales leaders, you've been left to figure out your leadership system on your own. And if that's the case, you need to hit me up, right? While there's no shortcuts to success, you can get there faster if you take the most direct route. And so if you like the content of this podcast, you're going to love the content in my community for sales leaders, Sales Leadership United. Think of it like the Home Depot for sales leaders. It's got my very best content and over 100 hours of training materials, and it grows every week. You can find everything you need in Sales Leadership United. And if you've never had a coach in your corner, now's the time to give it a try. As you're preparing for next year, as you're getting ready for sales kickoff, there's lots of companies right now that I'm helping as they work to make sure that they have an elite approach to how they lead their team in 2022. Listen, the greatest performers in the world in every discipline invest in themselves. So save your most precious resource, your time. 
Small improvements create disproportionate results in both sales and sales leadership. And if you can win just a little more, just a little faster, then you're going to get massive results. And if you want to find those small advantages that create massive results, hit me up today. So let's get back to my man Garland. How great was that conversation? I cannot believe how fast the time flew by in that conversation. Seriously, I treated that interaction with Garland as a personal coaching session for me. And in the time since I recorded that and it goes live, I've put in tons of what we discussed to use since then. I've said for years that sales is a transfer of enthusiasm. I don't know where I heard it first. It's something that I heard early in my career, and it's always stuck with me. And when Garland defined burnout as the loss of enthusiasm, that really resonated with me. It's something I haven't ever forgotten, and I've shared it with a ton of the people I'm coaching. And Garland's focus on becoming unbusy as an antidote to burnout is really, really good. I mean, mean really good, okay? Burnout is happening more now than it ever has, and it's something that's affecting everyone. People are doing maximum effort, but they're not creating maximum speed. And I love how Garland started this whole conversation off talking about how we got here because working at home made it so all the lines got blurred. And and all of a sudden, you know, that lesson we learned back in the 80s from Ghostbusters, not to cross the streams, we crossed those streams. And as a result, right now we have people that are we're seeing turnover at an all-time high. We're seeing this new emphasis on mental health and care for the whole person and not just the salesperson. I think that's great, and I think it's here to stay. But, the, I mean, we can't deny the fact that there's a problem right now. And I hear about it all the time. I hear about people burning out. Working from home has challenges that are just part of it. And then you add to it. The, the, the all-time high of uncertainty that's all around us, right? There's talk that COVID lockdowns may be coming back. Yeah, I had three companies uh, that had previously signed me to do keynote speeches, sales kickoffs. They've reached out to me and told me that they kicked their, their kickoffs back till sometime next year because they're so worried about the COVID protocols that are coming. So I'm telling you, I think this conversation with Garland was perfect timing. There are so many nuggets in this one. The framework that he had around clarity was awesome. Uh, I, I'm, I'm all about clarity. I've been talking about it with my customers. I, I, I'm putting a lot of content out about it in my Sales Leadership United community. I've found that clarity is the catalyst for speed. I'm going to say it one more time. If we're in a world where in order to get massive results, we have to have massive speed, then we should know as sales leaders that clarity is the catalyst for speed. And confusion is the enemy of speed. So you need to spend time on clarity. As you're going about your business and you're making your plans, you need to really be thinking, how can I make things crystal clear? Because your success as a sales leader is going to be bolstered or hindered by your ability to create clarity, especially at these critical times. And I also loved our discussion around recharging. Listen, I'm realizing that most people don't know how they personally recharge. I, I, I've used this metaphor many times. You may have heard me say it. The, the mobile phone, when I put it on my charging platform by my bed when I go to bed, if I, if I don't line that up right um, and it doesn't connect to the charger the right way, when I wake up in the morning, that phone is just as dead when I wake up as it was when I went to bed because not using it is not equal to recharging it. And it's the same with you and your, your body and your health and your mind. Just not working is not the same as recharging, okay? And so 
I'm spending a lot of time on this. And, and one of the great sales leaders that I work with, I, I asked him a couple of weeks ago how he recharges and it stumped him. He's like, I don't know, man. And so, to, you know, in the two weeks between when we had our sessions, that was his homework assignment was to come back with a few things that we identified that might be things that would be helping with the recharge. When he came back, he's like, Rob, I'm still stumped. And he had a few ideas and, and we really been digging into this, but that's a big deal. The elite leaders, the people that stay in growth mode, they recharge differently. And that's one of the reasons why I really liked Garland's recharging framework. Since we had the conversation, I spent a ton of time around it. This concept of relationships, recreation, rest, and reflection, it works. These are things that work really, really well. So dig into it, okay? Get after it. Dig into it. But above all, the thing that really jumps out at me from this one is not becoming a slave to the schedule. It's something that I have a problem with. I, I'm, I feel like I'm getting pretty good at time blocking. I feel like I'm doing a lot of these things right. But at the end of the day, I'm still a slave to my schedule. And I believe Garland's definition of busyness is on point. It's trying to do too many good things. Okay, It isn't about having too many low-value activities. It's about taking on too many things that are good. And this is why so many people are suffering from burnout. This is why so many people are having both physical and business challenges. This is why it's become a very real condition that's destructive, right? And we as sales leaders can help prevent this. I believe that if we live our best lives, then and only then can we do our best work. And so if we do our, are doing our best work as leaders, then we can create life-changing years for those we lead. So it's important that we live our best lives so we can have that kind of impact. That means the stakes are really, really high. So it's important that we do this for ourselves first, so we can then help those we lead do the same thing. So Garland, my friend, thank you so much for joining me today. This was one of the most important episodes in the three and a half year history of our show. Thanks for helping me shine light on this and help avoid a state of complete loss of enthusiasm. So to each of you, I want you to do yourself a favor and head out to Garland's site, grab his book, check out his content. Connect with him on LinkedIn. He gave you all the stuff you need to make all those things happen. But take the time to see what he's up to. He will help you do your best work. And as a result, you can live your best life. And that's something worth chasing. Okay. I also want to thank my friends at Scipio. If you haven't already done it, make sure you go to Scipio.com. That's S-K-I-P-I-O.com. Take advantage of their 30-day trial, free trial by using their, their tool yourself. Go to the sign-up link. Enter that code ROB, it's R-O-B, watch your price tag go to zero, and then start communicating with your prospects the way they want to be communicated with. You'll get results faster than you may have thought possible, and then do me a favor and hit me up and tell me what your experience is like. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. It goes a long way in helping me get the best guests in the world on our show. So thanks for joining us. Thank you again to Garland for making such a great episode with me today. And as always, I want to remind you, be elite, live strong, chase your passions, and whatever you do, don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, 
Want to level up your leadership impact? Discuss executive coaching services or even include me at an upcoming event? Hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.